All right, you're listening to KDNK's public affairs program for land's sake. I'm Bill Kite, your host, and today we're fortunate to have Sarah Johnson with us, who's the founder of Wild Rose Education. Are you there, Sarah? Hello, Bill, and <laughs> everybody out there. Glad to, glad to have you with us today. Thanks for agreeing to be on. Oh, what an opportunity. It's always fun to be on KDNK. Well, and we like to have a lot of fun on this program, so we're, we're doing good when we have fun. Um, what would you like our listeners to know about you by way of introduction? I know you quite well, but our listeners don't, so I'm going to just turn it back over to you. Well, my, um, as you said, I'm a, professionally, I'm the founder of Wild Rose Education. Um, personally and civically, I'm a lot of things in this community and have been for many years. Um, but I originally came, to, I had my first adult job uh, working for public lands um, in western Colorado in 2004, uh, working at the Black Canyon of the Gunnison National Park. And that spun me into loving the western slope. And it was in 2008 that I moved to Carbondale. And um, I professionally, I think I'm, I'm a lot of things as well. I'm a public lands interpreter. I'm an environmental educator. As of late, I'm a professor, a trainer, and even one of my favorite jobs is getting to mentor um, young people, high school students. And I'm, I'm many things. You are. You wear, you wear many hats. And uh, the mentoring part is, is what I always enjoyed when I was with the Forest Service. Mentoring young people and watching them grow is really a, a blessing and a, and a really good feeling, too. So what, yeah. ins- what inspired you to start your own company, uh, Wild Rose Education? I'm not sure I can. I'm not sure I can answer that question exactly. Um, but I think what I can talk. What I can talk about is that how pr- I am proud of this um, now five-year-old business that I, I it came about in a backwards way. Like I, I didn't realize I was um, creating a business as I was doing it. It all kind of happened. Um, it was through a lot of hard work, and now I'm five years into it and have something that is seemingly working pretty well. And, you know, I really enjoy developing and designing courses and programs and reaching youth and educators as my primary audience. And, you know, the Wild, Wild Rose Education has allowed me, this business structure has allowed me to, um, to do this work in partnership with numerous institutions, organizations, both locally, regionally, and now across the country. And so this business, this thing I've created, is an innovative environmental education business providing place-based, learner-centered, educator workshops, youth leadership opportunities, and environmental education consulting. So, um, yeah, it's a vehicle. I think you get, everybody has to have a vehicle for their passion and um, I have landed in this world of a of a small business woman owned um, uh, structure that allows me to do really cool things. Well, that that's great when you are able to to start something and see it grow as uh, over the years. So, congratulations on your on oh, your efforts. Thank you. you. You know, a lot of people um, probably. Many of us, if we ask uh, five or six people or 10 or 12, each one of us might have a different answer as to what is environmental education. So I'm going to give you a shot at trying to uh, educate us as to what environmental education is. I agree with you. 
there are <laughs> we we have um, even in the world of like the national associate or in the national conversations about environmental education, we have the same um, predicament. But I think um, environmental education is about creating healthier communities for all people and all for all all living all living creatures. So it's about creating healthy communities for all with ecological integrity, shared prosperity, and social equity as our long-term goal. Now, how do we do that? (laughs) Well, I think there's like four buckets of environmental education. And um, it starts with, you've got to start by observing and how the world, observing the world and seeing how the world works around you. Your environment is where you are right now. Everybody is in an environment and um, so it's starting with observing and questioning and, and, and analyzing and then starting to understand how processes and systems work, both natural systems, like ecological systems, as well as geographic systems, human systems. And then fi- after that, then we can start to learn how to really investigate issues around us um, and understand how decisions are made and learn how to begin to be part of that process of taking action. And finally, that that kind of that progression of environmental education, I think, is about recognizing and accepting our personal and civic responsibility. Um, And I think that's, and that those last two areas of environment, investigating issues and civic responsibility and agency and learning how to take action is where I spend a lot of my time these days with students of both of all ages, whether they're adults or um, teenagers. And recognizing our civil responsibility is is much needed in these times we're living in, isn't it? I think it's what the world needs the most of right now. Is we, we need to be better observers, and meaning observers, meaning listening and watching and seeing all the ways we observe, as well as then be, we need to be better observers, and we need to be able to do something with those observations and learning how to be with each other in the most productive, effective, respectful, maybe even fun ways. And the more you work with people that have a a common uh, interest and and you're able to really create a level playing field is when you can really get things done in the world. I would agree with that for sure. Social equity is being tossed around quite a bit, and I I think I know what it means uh, because there's a lot of... um, unequal distribution of wealth and knowledge and um, ability to even get on the Internet for, for a lot of folks. So to you, uh, what does that social equity mean uh, personally? I think it's being able to watch it. Yeah, I think it's being able to see the world and listen to the world with a lens of, of really – understanding where people are at and really being able to put our put aside our own perspectives and biases and really being with the people where, that are in front of us and and understanding what they're trying to understand what their needs are and their passions and their values so that we can see where there's common ground and see how we can um, with our different perspectives and different talents, we can really come together and, and take, take action to make the world a better place. And I think 
that's the, I mean, understanding each other's values is a starting point. I think social equity is a humongous, um, is a very complex idea that we could spend a lot of time unpacking. I think that at the end of the day, when you talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, I think the bottom of it, it comes back to love and respect and being kind. And I think it's really that simple, but there's a lot of complexity that gets in the way of that sometimes. Isn't that the truth? That, that's for sure. And, you know, it is important to try to, to let people know what you mean when you say so, social equity. And I, I for years, wrote a, a column called Common Ground. And so seeking that common ground has always been important to me. And then, of course, taking action after you learn something, if you just sit on that knowledge, you're not benefiting anyone. So thanks for clarifying that for us. Yeah. Has the pandemic affected you and how you relate to your students? And if so, could you elucidate on that some? Absolutely. I think the biggest thing I think of when I think when I hear that question, it's just the value of social emotional learning. We uh, we need we need social emotional support. <laughs> we need all these things just to like function. I mean, it comes down to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, if you can't, if people aren't well fed and well watered and feeling safe and loved, there's no way we're ever going to be able to learn anything or be creative and. So I've found myself in my teaching to really put a lot more energy into that than I ever probably have um, in the past and really kind of leading with that and realizing that really because we're living such isolated lives um, physically, we the chance to talk to each other and be together and be seen is by others is really we're hungry for that and so um, as much as i continue to teach about public lands and rivers and water and climate change those pieces are almost secondary it's like the people and where you're at comes first (laughs) and and that's been one of the biggest things that i've seen in my teaching let alone of course the um turning becoming a virtual instructor a virtual professor and that's that's been a humongous um, learning for me, but I think it's they go hand in hand. I mean, it's the how it's they come together that they have to be together. And so, I've, other thing I've been noticing is how much um, programmatically I've been having to really respond to the needs of what I'm uh, what I'm seeing and noticing in front of me, and. So things don't, uh, as we all know, things are not working the way they used to. <laughs> the way the world works is not exactly the same. And um, and so just being courageous and try, and pivoting and adapting and trying things on and throwing them out because they don't work and then trying again and holding on to the things that are working well and, and just kind of going for it and not, not giving up. And it seems to be working. Um, seems to be um it's happening yeah not not giving up i think is uh is is really important in any educational enterprise because when you're dealing with people you're dealing we're all unpredictable in in some terms and and trying to make some sense and order out of chaos is is i think when the light comes on in a student you see that light come on come on is really 
it's a reward and, and you know you've succeeded. And, and so good luck with all that you do. I really appreciate your, your efforts, uh, especially giving well, that love and respect. Yeah. You can still see the light come on even in a virtual environment is something I have learned. And that's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, it just doesn't look the same. It's like it comes through through students' reflections and um, their writing and the comments they share. And you can still, as an educator, you can still have that feeling of making an impact um, on and seeing a little bit of transformational learning. It's, it's been really surprising to me, and it's also been incredibly, um, it's been feeding me a lot. Um, something else about the pandemic that I never, ever expected is that all of my, so much of my work has become globally, um, it's been reaching a global audience. Who would have ever thought um, an educator based in a third street center could have a global audience. I, I know there's larger organizations that have that, but but I am now in that space and having students signing up for my courses from as far away as the United Arab Emirates and Peru and Scotland and Costa Rica and the list goes on and on has just added tremendous perspective to these courses that I teach and it's impossible to have ever created otherwise and um and whether they're from new york city or salida colorado or denali national park and people from there recently um it's just it's added some things that i think are incredibly valuable um so that's been pretty amazing well yeah i would say so and uh just for those of you tuning in now you're listening to kdnk's public affairs program for land's sake and today our guest is sarah johnson I know uh, one class that you're teaching uh, during the pandemic. I had the privilege of of being a guest on your on your show. Um, I say show, but it, it it is. You have to perform. You have to keep people awake. You have to keep them engaged. And I thought you did a good job of that. Could you tell us a little bit about that class? I, I was uh, was a privilege to be with you on, and and maybe some of the other uh, classes you're teaching. Of course. So I am a. Um, adjunct faculty at Western Colorado University out of Gunnison, Colorado. And before the pandemic started, <laughs> I was slated to teach um, a handful of public lands of the United States of America, the history today and a more equitable future courses. And so this course has a long title, but it is um, is a course for adults. It's a course for educators and that word is used um, loosely. So anybody who identifies as an educator, whether they're formal classroom teachers or park interpreters or anything in between. And um, so the class, the class has happened and it happened, has happened happening virtually um, since June, a couple versions of it. And um, the course was designed using a curriculum that was designed by the Wilderness Society um, the national organization, in partnership with the Avarna Group, which is a diversity, equity, inclusion consulting firm that works with conservation and environmental organizations um, across the country. And this curriculum is where this course was designed from, but the course has become obviously more because that's usually what educators do is take things and run with them and make them really make them their own. And so the course has been bringing together professional of so from so many different um, so many different types of professionals, not just teachers, to 
to, to really understand public lands, which is such a humongous topic. It could, it's a lifetime commitment to learning about public lands. It really is. But it's it? a, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's a, it's a course that gets people's feet wet. And I would say a little bit wetter. Maybe they're starting to wade in more like ankle to calf deep than just, just getting their feet wet. Um, and thinking about really understanding how the structure of public lands work at the, fe- the at federal the federal public lands level, so the different agencies and designations, and then really spending a lot of time thinking about um, and exploring a lot of history about how public lands came about and this whole construct, and doing so from a perspective from many perspectives and from the perspective of people of color and indigenous people and the LGBTQ community and women and all types of immigrant communities and all these different perspectives around public lands that maybe most people have probably not thought a whole lot about, as well as thinking about the the course progresses into thinking about the values of public lands and the benefits of public lands also from all these different perspectives of the social and cultural and economic as and of course the ecological values around public lands and so it's just a, the course is um, hugely um, based in discussions and sharing and sharing of values and perspectives of not only the people in the class themselves because they bring every person brings their own perspective you and me and everybody as well as all these stories of other people, you know, these other accounts of other people's perspectives. And so it's, it's a mind broadening course. I'm a, I sometimes say that I'm a professional pot stirrer just to stir people's thinking and get and my goal for the class is that people leave with a, a little more knowledge so they can ask better questions, um, ask stronger questions, um, ask and investigate issues that come about um, from multiple perspectives and knowing that the, the table is round, the table has so many sides, you know, so many sides, there's so many perspectives to consider. So that class just wrapped up last night and I'm going to put another one of those on the calendar here in February or March. Um, it's, it's been awesome. I've also been landed myself in teaching um, some leave no trace trainer courses, which have strong public lands. Um, it is a, it's all about public lands as well, but more so from a you know how do we how do we recreate on public lands? And those trainer courses are um, a credentialed official course for the Center for Leave No Trace Outdoor Ethics out of Boulder. It's a so it's a national trainer course that they they sanction. And those courses have been I've had wait lists on every in every single course, and I've been offering them once or twice a month since June. And um, again, international participation—it's been it's been fascinating. Um, I've also been working really hard on the Youth Water Leadership Program and having young people preparing to participate and present their calls to action around uh, waters, rivers, and climate change issues. And that is all happening on Friday this week with the Healthy Rivers Youth Water Summit, the fourth annual, and we are doing it all virtually which has been a bit exasperating, but I, we've got 91 people registered and people coming from Durango and across the enti- entire upper Colorado River Basin. So it's, not, it's no longer a Roaring Fork Valley thing because it has gone virtual. 
another opportunity to include more more people. So, and there's so many other things I've been up to, but um, I yeah, it's pretty awesome what has been happening. I'm very grateful. Well, I think you, you do a good job at the class I was in. I really appreciated, and you could tell that the students had uh, had been stretching their minds for sure. I, I do want to ask you a little bit about um, a group that you served for six years, um, two terms on, a, 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 it's a nonprofit, Colorado Alliance for Environmental Education. Yeah. Uh, we can't ask for money uh, for that organization or any other organization today, but we can just mention to folks that if you do want to give to any nonprofit, today's a good day to day. do it. <laughs> it is Colorado Gives Day. So, so, so get out there. And there are other ways of serving nonprofits too, um, putting your elbow grease to work. So just wanted to mention that before, before we talk about uh, the, another nonprofit here. But please let us know a little bit about what you did uh, for them and what they yeah, do. Yes, so I'm, I'm closing my six years of service this month um, with the Colorado Alliance for Environmental Education, where I was served as in the leadership there. I was all the different, all the, all the office, the office, I was the all the officers <laughs> except for the treasurer, um, and it's an incredible organization that is committed to the advancement of environmental education across Colorado, and it's also nationally recognized um, for lots of reasons for being a a leader in being a, a professional association for educators. So professional development and advocacy, trying to make sure that. Colorado education systems include environmental education, um, and we've done that through a lot of different projects and partnership with the Department of Education and Colorado Parks and Wildlife and different state agencies. So, yeah, so it's a great organization if you to really keep our um, professionalism high in environmental education across the state. And as you said, Bill, today is the day. It's Colorado Gives Day. And I, you know, first you gotta, you gotta give to the organizations you trust and that you have a relationship with. So make sure if you're not a member of Katie and K, you are, you better become one. <laughs> and then after that, the Andy Bank, the Youth Empowerment Program is probably the next best thing to support. If, um, and then, you know, everything else that you, that you believe in and have a connect, have a connection with. So Absolutely. give where you live, they like, we like to say. <laughs> Absolutely. And thanks for putting that plug in for us here at K- KDNK. We appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> we just have a couple minutes left here. And in that time, um, if you, I'd like to ask people this question. It's kind of a stumper in a way, but then uh, gives you a chance to say how you really feel. If you had unlimited resources, what would you do differently that you're, than you're doing now? I would put all my energy into teaching and designing programs and not into business, running a business. <laughs> I don't like that part. That is um, a hard one. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, or I would hire somebody um, to be able to do all that. Yeah. To do all that work. Um, I also, one of my dreams is to be able to design and facilitate and make it happen. Um, like these immersive regional place based, gap years or semester programs for university students where they go explore a region um, from the from the rocks to the politics, meaning like they take a place and, and learn everything about it, everything from the, the, the geology to the anthropology to the, the plants and, you know, the current politics, the current issues. And um, so I would love to do that someday. I've got this idea of a Colorado River Basin um, semester or probably a, you could do it over a year because there's so much to do. Um, so those, that would be 
be able to be able to do that and get paid what it costs to live as an, a, a professional would be amazing. Um, that's something I would love to do. Um, and you know, more recently, when the before the pandemic happened, I was selected to go to the Arctic to be part of. I'm now part of a science research team in with an Arctic science project, and um, and that's just broadened my perspective tremendously to think about how much I really do enjoy field science and how that I've been removed from that for a long time, and I would I would like to be able to do more field science and explore different regions of the world. And maybe I will get to go to the Arctic in 21, 2020. Well, well I hope I hope you do. I really do. I think you'd do, that'd be great for you. It, it really would. Listen, tune in next year. That's right, next year, January 5th <laughs> at 4.30. Until then, whatever you do to Mother Nature, do it for land's sake. Thank you, Sarah, for being with us. And, uh, Thank you. May you have a, a blessed evening. Thank you, Bill. Take care.